Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi, I'm Noel Tofino, Managing Director of My Accounts, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Noel, give us an overview of your team structure, both locally, offshore, number of team members, their roles, how long they've been with you, and just a little bit more about your business. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're a national bookkeeping company, um, and we have physical offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Clark, managed through um, the Outsource Accountant. Um, our current team level is at 20, uh, and we have of that 20, there's seven in the Philippines. Uh, and then onshore, we have six uh, in the management team and seven bookkeepers and CFOs, uh, and, and those bookkeepers actively pushing up uh, and upskilling towards the CFO. So, yeah, that's our mix. Probably a little bit, um, you know, top-heavy, but uh, that's intentional uh, to set ourselves up for, for the growth that we're ex- uh, planning for Finian 19. Excellent. So do you guys have a niche that you deal with or and work with? Yeah, I think like obviously we're, we're, we're strong in the bookkeeping and CFO space. Um, I think previously being like cloud integrators was probably a bit niche, but maybe less so now. Um, but something that we do uh, a lot of that uh, is uh, interesting in the space that when I speak to, you know, your zeros and things like they say that's you know, unique is taking on an entire accounts department. So we don't see um, uh, ourselves as competitive um, with, you know, other bookkeeping companies necessarily. Um, we we go after the companies that have these archaic accounts departments. So take for example, uh, a com- uh, we get engaged for maternity, paternity or long service leave. Uh, and during that time, we kind of go in and do systems consulting, uh, assess the whole accounting systems, um, assess their software stack and just say, can we do this more efficiently than they've had? Um, and what we seem to find and what our goal is, is to deliver a 30 to 50% cost reduction for that business uh, based on, say, they, they might have, say, like one full-time fee controller and assistant accountant, but we might be able to do it all uh, with, say, a team of one of our bookkeepers and one of our VCFOs. So, um, so you know, delivering a 30 to 50% cost reduction might end up being like a 30 or $40,000 annual retainer for us, which is obviously a great size client. Um, and that's the, that's the type of work that we really love because uh, it gives our team that um, that high-level brain-engaging work where they can use all their skills as CPAs and CAs and, and, and accounting systems and processes, then roll it out and effect change. And I think that's like one of the most engaging um, points uh, of the role. So that's, that's what we really like doing. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about the story of setting up your offshore team. So you've been doing this now for a couple of years, but what were the main motivations behind doing this versus obviously all the other priorities that you have within your business? Yeah, so in uh, August 2016, we got investment uh, on board from um, uh, some private equity guys. And um, obviously when that comes on board, a lot of the focus is on growth and, and scaling up. And I think Taking a step, taking a step back from the business and looking at it and saying, you know, in our current iteration, can we grow and scale as quickly as we want to? Um, and I think the answer was no at that point. And the way we, that the way our shape was, and it was just kind of a bit more of an old school model. Um, you know, someone's uh, one of our bookkeepers. How many hours do they have in a month? How much can we build that out multiplied by team members? You know, and that's that's just hard to scale 
uh, on the say on an exponential level. It's like that's a very linear growth method, and I think we needed to or wanted to uh, invest a bit faster than that. So um, we we this is the this is what one of the one of the things that we needed to do was to to adjust our wages over revenue metric to to get that going and basically get the onshore team focused on higher value services as well. So you know on that side it increases the team retention because they're up being upskilled and we're also able to build higher that VCFO level. Uh, but we still needed that uh, the bookkeeper level team. So so this was the the answer. I mean I guess the other you know, the other end of it would be to maybe invest in say technology and you know I think we've had um, Nick, I think you, you, you know, people like Paul Miser and all these, some people are saying, you know, like we can't really replace uh, the, the people. And I think to, to, a, to a large extent, that is true. Like, um, you know, I think we're, we're looking at perhaps, can we do this in a technology play and say, well, let's invest one or two mil at minimum into building a tech platform. And that just wasn't, um, that wasn't the right play at the time. And I think looking at the market at the moment and seeing um, some of the, the forays into tech replacing bookkeeping completely hasn't been completely successful at this point in time. Um, so uh, this was the best method. Yeah, and I, I, look, I agree with your point. I think that there's always going to be a, a role for people within an accounting business since technology yeah. and people's, you know, combined is going to have um, a, a part to play. It's just a matter of where it fits within that. But so tell us a little bit. I'm going to go down, I suppose, your journey of offshoring. How did you yeah, go about getting... Yeah, about getting set up. How did you um, find us? How what was the process, and how long did it take? Yeah, so uh, we actually went to we did a bit of a tour of the Philippines uh, and saw multiple outsourced managers. I mean, I think probably the first question is, you know, do we manage it ourselves, or do we find a partner to to do it? And I think very quickly it became clear that, that you know the doing it ourselves is not the best use of our resources and uh, or anything like that. And, and, so we, we knew we needed to partner with someone. So I think we visited around five outsourced providers. Um, and Nick, don't want to blow smoke, um, but you know we are you are head and shoulders we're head and shoulders above the other four in almost every way. Um, the, the way the the Toa team uh, were uh, in Philippines, the the um, the facilities. Uh, it was very key, like we were very keen for our team in Philippines to have the best facilities available. We wanted them to have you know the same you know the same amount of uh, comfort as we do here, like you know, and and, I, and that's exactly what Toa deliver. So it basically became a bit of a no-brainer to 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 move over to Toa once we had the done the due diligence and all the rest. So, um, but in terms of actually rolling out and and doing it, I think we made some pretty um, some pretty big mistakes in the beginning, and I think we underestimated um, the amount of resource that you do need to put in. And I think there's a lot of resources that Toa give that we probably ignored. Um, or just didn't take, you know, just didn't take seriously enough in the beginning and, you know, about investing into the systems and processes of offshoring and having dedicated resources for that purpose. Um, you know, we, we had, it was a bit just, it was just really ambiguous for the team in Philippines uh, liaising and, and with us. So I think for about maybe the first, I would say, year, really fumbled around and I don't think we executed. So then at that point, we, we were having to assess, you know, have we made the right decision? Are we doing the right thing? Um, but it became very clear that it's not it wasn't Tower, it wasn't offshoring itself. It was it was really our systems and processes that were that were the issue. So we hired a dedicated manager, 
that that uh, focuses solely on the Philippines uh, and managing and being that conduit between the two offices. And then also whilst managing the communication, the relationship, also refining the systems and processes. And that has been, I would say, the biggest success factor over Finney 17 and 18 for our business in turning, um, you know, and driving the success and, and, and turning some of the bad aspects of our ratios in, in our financials to, to where they are today. Um, so uh, I think we were yeah, fully planned and under-resourced initially and it took us, you know, I've, you know I wish I could, you know, say, step back and say we, um, you know, we nailed it from the beginning we didn't and it just took us, yeah, about a year or a year and a bit to really nail it. Uh, and But we're really in the zone now and loving everything. So if I was to ask you if you were to do it again, what would be the, for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? What three things would you tell them are the most critical to get things um, set up yeah. and running? I mean, you mentioned you hired a dedicated resource to manage this team. What would those two or three yeah. things be that you'd recommend they do? Yeah, so I think, like, I mean, the, the, the word in that question quickly is, is I'd, I'd be cautious, but basically it's, if, you're, if you've planned thoroughly, then I think that enables you to move quickly once you've made the decision. But I think the, the before the decision is made or before the transition is made, if the bulk of the work is done, then you can move quickly. So I think that's, so that question, you know, if you're interpreting it that way, is, is a little bit different. So I'd almost recommend to someone, don't move quickly. Like let's, um, you know, let's focus, let's plan. Um, and let's make sure that all the systems and processes are, are done. So my things would be plan thoroughly, dedicate resources, um, and then monitor constantly and adjust as required. Um, so, you know, I think almost putting yourself in, in, in their shoes and being like, you know, who do I go to when I have queries? Um, you know, cause we, because we didn't have dedicated resources at the beginning, it was pretty hard for them to maybe clarify some things. And I, you know, thinking about it, I, that would be incredibly frustrating for them. Um, so you know, just making sure that there's all these basic things are, are, are answered and checked off is is something that I would recommend. Yeah, great advice. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides to your business, what would it be? What we've found uh, once we've really got it humming is that they're just super consistent and stable. Uh, so they provide this consistency and stability. <laughs> there's no slide at all in my local team. I, I absolutely love them, but um, you know, the, I just find that they're, they're always there. Um, the, the Philippines team, as in like the, the, the team turnover is, I don't think, I'm trying to think of our turnover levels there, like it's um, resignation-wise, the, the percentage is significantly lower than, um, than, than locally um, and, and things like that. So um, I just find that the day-to-day, they're super consistent, stable. Excellent. So perceptions of offshoring, what are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most with going down this journey? Yeah, so I think these days the stigma is definitely dissipating. It's not as big a taboo as everyone makes it out to be. It's not uh, uh, as, as big a deal. I think there was some apprehension initially, like when we launched, say, two years ago and speaking with clients about it. But that's just, we're, we've just, we're continually getting proved, that's continually getting proved wrong. There, there should be no need for apprehension. And I think the clients, by and large, are very aware that this is a very common business model, uh, and it ha and it delivers serious value for them. So there is actually uh, benefit on both sides. Um, so, but in, you know, in short, our, all of our clients have both local and offshore contacts. So, like for our team, dedicated contacts, local and offshore. So there should be no issue anyway. Um, but let's say there was a preconceived issue, say with competence. 
they think like you know maybe there's a preconceived idea that they may not be as skilled as some of our local team that's just really quickly dispelled when the work gets started because our offshore team actually liaises directly with our clients and again i think i mentioned before that they're super consistent and stable a lot of the feedback i get is they're super responsive of email and um and and they just you know they, they just get the job done so um like you know let's say there is any any apprehension that just gets you know shattered immediately when the work gets started because they're just as good excellent so the year ahead what is your plan with the offshore team so obviously the first year was a bit of a trial and error um you're yeah. obviously learning the way but you've really refined it in the last 12 months so how do you plan to keep growing your team their capability um, and the performance yeah well we have some serious growth targets um so you know, obviously with like a top line a strong top line growth we needed to be able to sustain that resource that and that will involve growing both locally and offshore. In regards to growing the team and their capability and performance, we found the best the best thing is to have a, a dedicated system. And really like it's an HR thing, you know, have a dedicated system to checking in with your team. So we do um, basically two types of monthly one-on-ones, a soft and a hard, hard being technical skills and soft being, you know, like work-life balance, you know, career progression and, and things like that. So, um, you know, on a scheduled one-on-one on technical, we might, one of the team leaders might address say uh, a skills gap maybe they need a bit more skill in payroll and this is not just local uh, or offshore this is this is for the whole team um and 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 then we'd work on that and then on the soft side just looking at you know maybe say comm skills how can we improve communicating with clients or uh, or even talking about career you know what's the next step and how do we get you along to the next step so i think having that uh, system of, of having a scheduled monthly one-on-one and it doesn't have to be long you know it's 15 to 20 minutes uh, or it could be longer, but so having that that schedule is super important. But within that framework, having it personalised uh, is, I think, the, the the thing that's most important to to cap to driving capability and performance. Uh, everybody is different. Uh, everybody needs to be managed slightly differently. But so having a consistent framework for so that this business can move forward and management's consistent. However, having the the EQ to be personalized in in the management is is uh, per person is is equally as important yeah some great advice there and i think too many people when they are building a global office don't do those the things that you just mentioned the one-on-ones that they're, they're all individual team members that are part of now your global team yeah. um so there's some there's some great parts of all great advice in those parts um so, Noel, recommendations for our listeners. What are some of the top things that you would recommend um, the listeners do in managing an offshore team? Yep. Num one, number one, 100% is dedicated onshore resource. Um, I said we had a we hired a, a team manager to to be there for them exclusively, and then through that, we just realised how important that was. Uh, there was some systems and process refinement, um, and that comes from listening to them you know to to your offshore team and listening to your onshore team and bridging that gap because you know there are system processes on both ends that you know that there needs to be some sort of basically compromise and and, and then you know a, a to to get the teams humming so that dedicated resource to manage all of that but also i think just being the communication main communication point and being there uh for them it, it'd be like you know a, a local team member if you know you had a local team member start uh, onshore and they didn't have a dedicated manager it'd be incredibly frustrating uh, and it's very much the same and i don't know why we don't think like that when we have an offshore team uh, or maybe it was maybe I, i'm saying the word we maybe it was just us i don't know why we but you know we it, it's definitely the number one thing that changed the um the performance of our team there so 
again, I think I mentioned a couple of times is clearly defined systems and processes to eliminate any ambiguity, you know, what to do when, when they say, so if this, then that, very simple uh, type things there. And manage like onshore. So just giving constant feedback, but also seeking feedback. So I think equally important as giving feedback is also seeking feedback. Make sure they're super comfortable to just say, hey, no, this isn't working for this reason. Uh, cool, let's work out a solution for that. And then on that as well is just making sure you do actually action some of the, the, the feedback points. Um, you know, so listening is, is, is a big is a big point, but then delivering on that just gives a team, your team just a, a lot more confidence in, in, in the company and management and, and that they're being heard. So that's definitely something that uh, I would recommend. Yeah, again, some great advice within that. So we're going to talk about metrics, um, KPIs. So what KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? Yeah, the the offshore team's KPIs are actually exactly the same as our onshore team. So, I mean, we do it by position, you know, and I think we've mentioned it a couple of times, but sometimes there really isn't that much of a difference when you classify onshore, offshore. I mean, let's take an example like Slack. I mean, I don't really know if they're, you know, do you get what I mean? Like they're not, it's not defined whether they're onshore or offshore. They're just part of the team. We have a global team and, you know, it's not like their Slack says, you know, my name is Noel and I'm from Philippines or something like that. Um, so the bookkeepers, so our KPIs are by roles. Our bookkeepers have billing targets. There's bonuses on achievement of that on a monthly basis. And um, there are um, also efficiency metrics where we're, we're measuring, uh, you know, billable hours versus total hours and, and, and things like that. So, um, it's, it's, it's standard, I think, you know, and, um, so yeah, look at our teams do timesheets. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what the, the percentage of, uh, of firms that are timesheet versus non-timesheet, but, um, we, we, we have, uh, timesheets and primarily so that we can measure efficiency, um, on our fixed price agreements. There's some interesting KPIs and I couldn't agree more around the, you know, onshore, offshore, doesn't matter where they sit, the KPIs should be the same. Um, so how is offshoring benefited your clients? Yeah, uh, probably the main one is is that there are multiple points of contact now. So in our former uh, model, and it's, it's still, you know, in, in transition, but there was um, local bookkeeper, local team leader. Um, and that's basically now shifting to having um, almost three points of contact. So, you know, there's a, a team member offshore, a team member onshore, and still a team leader. Um, so just having multiple points of contact eliminates for our business key person risk, but for uh, for the client that we're working on, there's just always someone available for them. Um, you know, and, and if someone's on leave, there's still another two people, uh, or someone's sick, like there's just no key person risk. So there's just a whole lot of stability and consistency. I think I mentioned that uh, in, a, in a prior point. Um, and then with that, uh, consistency and given that there are two to three you know points of contact per person so our team leaders can then focus not on say the 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 day-to-day -day, but also on improving the, the overall value that we're delivering to them looking more holistically at their business um kind of taking on more of that vcfo role um and uh, making sure that we're delivering not just the base level not just checking off on our scope of work but pushing beyond that and going over and above uh, for our clients Excellent. Great to see there's some there's some flow on for both the clients and the business. So how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you any more work-life balance? Um, the way our company is structured, I wouldn't say that it has directly uh, attributed to my work-life balance. However, the, the fact that they're so stable and consistent does give me a huge amount of peace of mind, which I find just as valuable, Nick. I think like for my peace of mind, my stress levels, I think, dissipate the more consistent, the more things are, are going well. So... 
Uh, that definitely has had an effect there. Probably on my blood pressure. <laughs> there's, uh, there's definitely an effect there. Knowing you've got the capacity or the ability to get work certainly does lower the blood pressure. Well, so, you know, when you, when you know what you're going to get, Nick, um, you know, like again, stable and consistent when you, know, you kind of go to bed a little bit easier. I know that, you know, with me and you have discussed, you know, sometimes staying up and other things that keep you up awake and this is one of the things you don't have to think about, right? Yep. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So is offshoring had a positive effect on your average hourly rate or overall profit to the firm since you've been doing it? Yeah, definitely. It's that the biggest impact has been on our gross profit margin. I mean, that's pretty simple. It's basically, you know, like a wages over revenue metric and it has been stark. I won't go into the exact details of, of it, but the, it, it definitely has. Brilliant. So what's one bit of advice that you would give your younger self from a business point of view? I think being a millennial, Nick, I, I always want to, I'm always a little bit impatient, but um, there's always there's always so much benefit in, in understanding the fullness of time and just being patient, playing the long game. I mean, I've, I've, I've been now at my accounts 11 and a half years, which is a lot, particularly for a millennial to be at the same uh, business, but it's definitely, you know, paid, paid off and um, in, in, in where I've gotten to. But I think in a lot of things, just having the wisdom to kind of acknowledge that some things just take time um, and, and and the fullness of that. So um, that would be some advice there, particularly to a little um, rabid knoll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some great advice. And I think that particularly in the way the industry will work these days where, you know, all you need is a computer and, you know, an internet connection, you can set up your own firm now. I think that's yeah. great advice, you know, playing that long game. It's, you know, it's not as easy as it um, always seems or appears. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, and it, it really flows into, say, even like relationships, you know, like don't burn relationships. We're going to be in this for a long time, you know, like um, we're going to be in the accounting. Like if you're choosing accounting to be your, to be your career, like we're going to be here for what, four years. You know, don't burn a relationship for a short-term gain. Play the long game. Um, yeah, couldn't, that, couldn't agree that, more. Yeah. You never know when that person, <laughs> you're going to need them or, or come across them again or, you know, and I've seen it much like you. You've been in a long time now. So you see, you know, people that are in certain roles now and then, you know, years and years later and they may need someone that's in a different role that they've known from 10 years ago, had very little interaction, but if it was a bad one, then it's not yeah. going to help you. So a yeah. little bit of advice um, for your younger self again, but on the personal side of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, Finney 18 was very reflective, a very reflective time for me. And I think uh, what the things that I was reflecting on is, is some of the advice, like a lot of the advice my dad gave me. I don't think, you know, a little punk Noel, never wanted to heed the advice or you know so I never got in trouble in like you know get sent to your room I, the way I got in trouble was I got lectures <laughs> from my dad and he'd sit me down and I'd be like oh man can you just like you know you know send me to my room or you know that's it like but he'd, he'd want to sit me down and talk me through it and he'd always take these up like when I stuff up he'd take them as learning opportunities which so when you're looking back you're a bit more mature now um you're looking back and going like that advice is so good so like one of like, there's multiple pieces of advice but one of the ones that I've been thinking about a lot lately um, is, you know, when the water is um, calm, it is deep, and when the water is rough, it's shallow. Um, and, you know, that just speaks to so many things, but I think, you know, when you don't need to be loud to demonstrate competence or success or anything like that, um, you know, just be calm, go about your day, and, you know, the water's out, you know, when they're, when they're still and calm, they're, you know, they're very, very deep. And, you know, when you're kind of looking at a stream or a lake, it's loud. Um, 
then, you know. So I, that was just something that I, I reflected on. But yeah, anyway, listened. So I guess summary, uh, listening to uh, dad's advice, if I was to say, yeah, go back to, you know, six to 12 year old Noel and just saying, listen to him and it's all correct. Yeah, I think there's some great advice in there too. So what's the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? Yeah, I, I, like I said before, like I, I'm not really experiencing as much of the stigma but um, anymore. But I think if I was to pick one now, there would be that, you know, there's maybe a, a, um, a, a myth that there's some communication problems and that that would, that would be an issue. Uh, and that just there is no truth at all. Um, and I think the, the, the measurement of that is that our offshore team speak directly to our clients. I'm not sure, and I, and I have no objection with some firms that, that keep that distance, but we just don't see the need to. That would create probably further ambiguity or create another system press that we'd need to check when they can just speak directly to the client and they're just as competent and, and able to. Uh, we've set up direct access landline for our team so they can be making phone calls directly and they can be, like they email directly, like, the, the, for intent purposes, there is no difference between our local bookkeepers and our offshore bookings. Um, and, you know, it's just proven by the way that we go about our business, you know, that, that we don't have one set of rules for one and one set of rules for the other. It, it really is one in all in. And that's, I mean, that's a great point because so many, I mean, that's one of the biggest questions we get is, you know, can our offshore team talk with our clients? And, you know, some firms will not, we will not put them anywhere near our clients and others are, no, we haven't, you know, directly communicating. And a lot of times, unless you specifically tell your client that they're sitting in the Philippines, they'd have no idea. Yeah. They really wouldn't know. Exactly. So for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've heard um, and implemented that you could pass on? Yeah, for me, it's been and. I think I've gone to this point so often because I've just been through it and I've seen the massive impact it's had on our business, but investing the time and systems and process, um, you know, instead of kind of just rushing and, and, you know, just seeking, you know, sales and top line growth without ensuring that the systems in the back end can support that, that there is no bottleneck so that, you know, you're not going to fall over here or there, you know, you're not going to just, you know, you're not doing something in spite of something else. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I love sport and I watch my tech, sport takes a, a, a disproportionate amount of my spare time. And, you know, if the, the formation of the team is wrong, I just think you're going to lose a lot more games. Do you know what I mean? So what, what's your sport, Nick? Is it rugby or AFL? Or? Rugby league. Rugby league. The main right. One. So like if the spine of that team, if you don't have that spine right, um, you know, it's it just not you're not going to have a great team, and you're not going to win that many games. So, you know, getting your systems and processes right, making sure they're the right people in the right uh, in, in those right in the right positions, um, and then and then running hard. Then I think just setting that up uh, is right. So I mean, you know, like you look at the sustained success of say like a Melbourne Storm under Craig Bellamy. Um, you know, he's obviously gotten a, a pro a system and a process right. Like I don't think you can argue that a lot of the success is that he's drafted in the right players in that spine and then he's just run a system, right? And he's just gotten that success. Um, and I think that that's something that we took, uh, you know, probably a little longer than I would have liked, but to, to get right. Um, and then a very simple analogy is just, and just make sure that your team are wearing the same jerseys and running in the same direction. <laughs> um, you know, so, um, yeah, so that yes, was uh, some, advice from my, <laughs> some advice from my chairman, Matthew Rowe. 
um, yep. you know, gave to me very early on. And it's it was it seems so stupid to think that you don't have that. But when you look at your team, go, do you know exactly what your role is exactly and how it fits into the picture? I think more often than not, I think you like in maybe in bigger orders, some organizations, people that there is some ambiguity in those roles. But I think if you liken it to say a sporting analogy again, you know, like the role of fullback or a striker, say, in, in soccer is very, very clear. Um, does everybody know what their role is? And does everyone know that if you fall out of position or fall out of shape, what happens to the rest of the team? So I just, uh, that's something that I've always, uh, that I've been looking at um, intensely yeah. over the last little while. And I think there's some, there's a, some really um, good points within that because a lot of the time, and this is one thing that we really educate, try to educate our clients on, is that your team in the Philippines are part of your team. So they need to be aware of where you're going. What's your vision? Where's the business going? And why is it an exciting place to be part of? Because um, yep. a lot of the time we just see the firms, you know, they, they just treat it like another office in another country, but they don't ingrain their culture. They don't give that vision and excitement of, you know, you don't play sport just to play sport every day. You play there because you're in a competition, you're out there to win, you're a team, you're part of that team. But I think a lot of that sporting and um, I suppose that you went through then really applies and I think firms need to take that on board and, you know, really, you know, where are you going? Teach your team where yeah. you're going and, and how you're going to get there and, you know, yeah. systems and processes, you know. Be realistic about those goals, right? Some of those teams, some of the wooden spooners last year, their goal might be to hit the eight, not to win the title, right? Yep. Um, and just like, and that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, improve, you know, that improvement from wooden spoon to top eight, like being eighth is, you know, is uh, a worthy recognition, worthy of praise. Whereas someone that came second last year, their goal might become first. And that's equally, as, that makes sense, right? So, um, like, you're exactly right. Having uh, goals um, that everybody is across, the whole team is, is super important. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, so we're going to finish off with a quick five in five. So what cloud software does your firm use? Yeah, I'd say the main five, um, Zero, Receipt Bank, Practice Ignition, uh, CCH is actually our practice manager, and Slack. Uh, we love Slack. We just send so many gifts to each other. I wonder if anyone actually does any work, but um, no, we, we, do, we do love it. <laughs> yeah, Slack's a good one. So your favourite app, what's, what's, what's your favourite ones out of, out of all of those? I think I've just said it. I think Slack, um, but but like that almost seems strange in that because it's a communication tool. I think one of the ones that I'm really liking is Practice Ignition, um, and I think uh, maybe I'm slightly biased because I'm using that a lot because I'm responsible for the front end, the sales, and sending out the engagement letter. So I am using that a lot. But uh, I like the team there, and I like the way that they're building uh, their their platform. Uh, you know, they're, they're, there's some serious investment going in, and I think they're they're well shaped to to move move forward and uh, at a good rate. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And look, you know, it's built by an accountant guy, um, so yeah. you know he he understands what the needs are. And I couldn't agree more. I don't. I think too many firms don't use technology to automate things like that. And it's a great mm. technology to onboard new clients. Yeah. So, what's your must read each week? Uh, I read a lot. Um, but I, I consume a lot of articles. So I like I, I love reading going through Medium. Um, so I'm, if you don't have it, download it on your like iPhone or Android and and, and go through. And this is really kind of curated. It, it uses some predictive analytics and to just go through um, some of the some of your reading history. And it starts to augment a lot of the articles to to what uh, you know what you're currently reading. So I always jump on 
uh, when I have some spare time and read that. Also next to my bed, I have a stack of about, I think the last time I looked, there was about 12 books on my bedside table, which I do struggle to get through as well. Um, and I think just like a lot of the other people in industry, I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter and reading through that. But I mean, on, on that, I, I kind of, um, I follow Twitter on, sorry, I follow Medium on Twitter and, and invariably I think I just end up clicking on the articles that get posted by Medium uh, and, and reading through those as well. I, I love I love uh, having a broad range of, of people speaking to me as in like a, a broad range of uh, authors and, and contributors because I think the more diverse the information you consume, the, the more, the better rounded the information you have. You know, you don't want to be, um, you know, I guess, single-sided on, on any sort of view. You want to be very well-rounded to be able to see both sides of the coin. So, um, yeah, I, I love hearing from a lot of different people. Yeah. And I guess I'm assuming the next one, favourite social media channel. Have you already said it? Is it Twitter? Yeah, yeah it is, absolutely. So I actually personally don't have Facebook. I don't have Instagram or Snapchat or anything like that. And that's not a like a rebellion. Like that's not being anti-establishment. That's purely man, null managing null in the sense that I have pretty poor attention, a pretty poor attention span. And I think that if I was to have all those kind of things, they would just eat into my time. I've always known that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think I would be like as obsessed as anybody else is with their phones and and all that kind of thing. And I think it would just be even worse. And I often find myself scrolling through Twitter mindlessly, and I'm like, well. I can only think if I also had Instagram or if I also had Facebook, would that would my time be multiplied on doing that? So um, I've I've uh, I've stayed off and I've, I've never had it and I've been able to stay off thus far and I don't see a need to jump on anytime soon. That's a great great self awareness. That's a that's a big one for I think listeners is actually being self aware like that. Um, so favorite KPI? What's your favorite KPI? <laughs> my favorite KPI, look. As the MD, I think I have to look at it and I look at it the most, but it's net profit, but budget versus actual. So, you know, not, not net profit just for the sake of it, but how are we tracking against our plan, you know? For, um, so that's that's the ultimate one. And then I guess through that, I'd say the next, the biggest impact on that would be our gross profit margin and our wages over revenue metric and just making sure that we're following plan, but budget versus actual. So no not just signing clients for that for that purpose or not just hitting, not just making profit for profit's sake, but, you know, you set a plan and let's make sure we hit it. Otherwise, what's the point planning, you know? So, um, yeah, so net profit, budget, versus actual. Great number. So for any of our listeners who want to get in contact with you, we'll put your details in the show notes um, Please, yep. online. But what's what's your Twitter handle? What's the best way for people to reach out on Twitter? Noel Tofino, so at Noel Tofino, N-O-E-L-T-I-U-F-I-N-O. Excellent. Thank you very much, Noel. Cheers, Nick. Had a great time. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.